Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another AMP commentary. This uh, this time we are talking about James Whale's 1935 film, The Bride of Frankenstein. It's alive! The monster! It's alive! It ain't turned to no skeleton at all! It lived right through the fire! To a new world. Gods and monsters. <laughs> Alone, you have created a bear. Now, together, we will create his mate. Oh, sir! She's gone! The monster! He's got her! Yo. Make man like me? No. Woman. She's alive. Alive. So, John, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. I mm-hmm. watch it every single year. I teach it in my classes. I'm so happy that we can start off this uh, Halloween season with a Patreon episode about Bride Frankenstein. Yeah, this is a, a movie. I have I have feelings for this movie, but I don't have the familiarity uh, that you have. And I believe until last night, the last time I'd seen it was in one of your classes. I don't think I was actually taking the class. I think I just showed up to watch Bride of Frankenstein, but... Uh, it was a big screen experience, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, I'll say that the Blu-ray experience I had last night, also awesome. It looked beautiful, the Universal uh, Blu-ray. Uh, so, man, I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah, it's an extraordinary movie. Well, if you're going to queue up, what we are, suggest you do is um, go ahead and let that rating certificate image play. And then when it fades out, pause your machine. And, uh, and uh, before <laughs> before you hit play, let's talk about this rating certificate. Not only is it a rating certificate, which you got sometimes in that era at the beginning of movies, c- pretty commonly with British films, right? You would get that. Yeah. But the American films, you don't always see it. But we get one here. And then um, we'll, and we'll probably talk extensively about how the ratings, uh, the censor board played a part in this movie and uh, what we yeah. see and what we don't, but also um, slowly dissolving in at right at the end of this card with the rating uh, certificate on it is an Eagle and it says NRA, right? Which I've always been confused about growing up. Mainly it's at uh, most prominently displayed at the beginning of duck soup. So that would be the movie I was raised watching where I was always like NRA and it says we do our part uh, at the beginning of, of duck soup. I believe is what it says. 
And I always assumed that it was just some like, oh, well, maybe the NRA used to be an okay organization or something. <laughs> but um, finally decided to look it up. And it's it turns out, you know, a lot of you out there are going, what an idiot. You, I already knew this. But um, it's it's the National Recovery Association, correct? And, That's right. And it's a Roosevelt era uh, organization about concerning recovery from the depression and uh, sort of a unionization, right? Is that how you would describe well, it? Well, it's like, fair practices. It, it's the oversight, the, the, the seal of approval that you have um, followed fair practices in doing business. And you're a member of this. The idea was to decrease competition between companies a little bit mm-hmm. and allow a little more breathing room and the ability to pay people better and right. have more civilized wages or and hours and all that business. Yeah. More work, fair wages, good business yeah. practices all over, all through government oversight. So just so it, for anyone out there that's wondered about that too, that's, I just wanted to throw that out there because it was something I only recently discovered. So, uh, but on to the right. movie. So are With we no ready? further ado, we, you uh, can start your machine in three, two, one, start. Okay, this is my favorite universal. I was just going to say, where do you place this in your universal? <laughs> I like this one. I like the starry one too, but I love I, this. I got to say, I, I like the eighties, like the Back to the Future, beginning of Back to the Future. You know, the Earth comes in from out of the darkness. You know, okay. but that's just the era I was raised in. So what we don't get to hear is Franz Waxman's great score that has multiple motifs for different characters. There's a bride motif. There's a monster motif. There's this kind of classical um, thing that we hear at the beginning. So that's one of the things that makes the movie so absolutely amazing is this score. But you don't get to hear that while we're talking over it. So we get the writing credits here. I believe John Balderston wrote the earlier draft. Is that correct? And then Right, and... Right, and he had worked on Dracula because he there had been a play, mm-hmm. and then Holbert came in. But by all by all accounts, James Whale did a big rewrite at yeah. the end of this thing. So it's really Hurlbut and Whale, and then I think uh, I've already forgotten his name uh, as it slipped past us. What was the other writer's name? Burleson? Balderson. Balderson. Uh, yeah. I, I, maybe the the thing that lived on from his draft most was the heart sequence. The Situation where they needed a new heart that we'll get to later. Uh, we can talk about that more when it, when the time comes. But a little bit of his drafts uh, lived on. And this beginning always freaks out students because they, they're not expecting it. Nobody was expecting it. Pretty extraordinary model work here. Yeah, that opening is incredible. And you expect it to be. And there's Una O'Connor walking by with the dogs. Oh, right. So we have two double roles in this, both Elsa Lanchester and Una O'Connell. So, yeah, that, that, that intro where we're pushing into this gothic castle looking place in this dark uh wilderness of us you expect it we're going right into the monster's castle or into something horror movie related and instead we get these uh we get these swells in, inside of a very comfortable home <laughs> swells well they definitely are swells i mean they i think are. that's the idea 
So the sensors were immediately already in, having a fit because the neckline of her dress was too low, <laughs> and so they have to cut to close-ups more than Whale wanted to because they were so nervous about people seeing her Jeez. dress. And I believe there was there was some text in the dialogue here early on that had to be changed because we're talking about. So who are our characters here? We have yeah. So it's so it's Mary Godwin. They call her Mary Shelley, but at this point she was still Mary Godwin because she was carrying on an affair with Percy Shelley, right. who had left his wife and and children for Mary, and then George Gordon, Lord Byron. And yeah, I think they cut some lines that had to do with not only that, but then there was a kind of menage a trois suggestion that there was something something going on between the three of them and it was you can james whale basically saying i've come back to make this movie i didn't want to make and so i'm just going to do anything that i want to do and i'm going to push every boundary i possibly can yeah i mean to me this scene there's still that implication i don't know whether i'm applying it to it i don't know whether i just sense it because it used to be there but I get a little bit, I don't know, of like a dangerous liaisons kind of seem like this could have been uh, that mischievous, that mischievous. You know, these people, they definitely have a, a sense of mischief about them. And I think that there were lines about that and, and how they were uh, clearly on the fringes of society with their morals and so on. Now, here's where we're getting the previously on bit, which is I don't necessarily <laughs> dock the movie points for it. I don't. I think it's a good summation of what happened in well, the previous movie. You know? Sure, and but it's kind of weird, right, to get actual I scenes from the previous movie put together this way. I don't know. I don't know. I guess you're. Maybe you're right. I think you would avoid uh, this now if you were making. I suppose a movie. so. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I have no distance on this because this right. has always seemed to me. I think I always wish the other Universal movies had done that too. Like, tell us what happened in the last one. Mm-hmm. And then this bit of blocking, we'll see it echoed again at the yeah. end with the monster. But this is your menage a trois right here. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got the, the, she's got a guy on each hand. And I think it's funny how she doesn't want to talk about it. And then she changes her mind very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> Don't remind me. You know, here she goes. Now that I've pricked my finger, I feel like telling this story. <laughs> He's just so enthusiastic. I just thought it was too bad that they couldn't have Frankenstein and Pretorius in these two roles, but a couple of old guys wouldn't wouldn't look right. So right. couldn't really do it. One thing we can talk about as the movie goes on, because we'll have multiple examples, is the grandiose nature of some of these sets, these interior sets, and how the aspect ratio of the time, this Academy ratio, works so well with these like vertical sets, right? Like they... The yeah. ce ceilings that are like three stories tall, it seems, and uh, massive fire fireplaces, chimneys, and then we'll get a bed here in, a, in a, about ten minutes or so. That's just astounding. It's like it's crazy. Fill fill the vertical frame, and and it's great. It's one of the, my favorite things about this era of filmmaking is that those directors that did understand that about look, we we don't have the width, the breadth that we uh, will have a couple decades later, but we do have this like. I don't know, magisterial like height to things, but we'll get to that more. So the parts of both this guy, the Burgermeister, and um, <laughs> Minnie uh, were written for these actors mm -hmm. by James Whale. He used them both in The Invisible Man and uh, wanted to work with them again. 
And for me, this movie immediately sets itself up as this kind of, you know, pre-punk punk movie. I mean, it's it's very much an anti-establishment movie. Oh, very and, much, and yeah. And this, you know, this horse's ass authority figure is going to be lampooned repeatedly. Uh, sometimes my students have trouble with how broad the performances are, especially many, but... I think that's part of what makes the movie so great. It's a it's an expressionist film. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with naturalism. It's all big. Mm-hmm. And he has to repeat everything and put the word indeed after. No matter what it is you say to him, he's monster indeed. Right. <laughs> it's a way of speaking that's gone away. I think I might try to bring it back. So we have to deal with the fact that um, we weren't sure whether Dr. Frankenstein survived in the last movie or not. Right. And somehow Dr. Frankenstein is alive to quote the rise of Skywalker. (laughs) I mean, these, these shots are the kinds that stick, you know, that fake sky, beautiful, but fake sky in the background and people just framed up like this. Cameras low to cameras low. mm -hmm. Larger than life. So they had different, uh, names in the previous movie, but these are supposed to be the parents of the little girl that the monster threw into the lake. Right. But they have different names. <laughs> so some ways none of that makes any sense. <laughs> and what's really cool here when we when we're finally going to see the monster is this is the first of a series of makeups. He's pretty scorched up here and he gets better looking as the movie goes on. He actually heals and Waxman's score right here is amazing, too. This first look. Now, we're getting a different sort of look from Karloff, because, right? Because in the previous movie, he took out his... He took he out a, his bridge. He was, yeah. His bridge work and was able to sink his cheeks in more. And um, because he had to speak in this one, they just went the other way. And he's a little puffed out. But it's okay, because he's gone through a transformation a, yeah. a bit because of the burning and... I think the fact that he just kills this guy is just just right off right? really shocking. And <laughs> then this we're going to we're going to do a kind of a joke. And if it were many, maybe it would be turned into a ha 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 moment. But but this is crazy, too. If it were many, she, she would have stopped and then turned without looking and put her other hand back and felt his hand first. Yeah, and know. she wouldn't have wound up like that. <laughs> right. She wouldn't have been thrown down dead into the sc- thing. Ran screaming. Here we go. So here's Minnie. So it's just interesting how you go from a murderous moment, but he doesn't kill her. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything. He just stands there. Well, the worst, the, the, you know, the real punishment of the townspeople would be to keep her alive. Maybe that's what he was <laughs> thinking. <laughs> So there's some. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> there's a that was like a a nice sw- kind of swashbuckler shot. These are like not this one as much. This is more gothic. That last one though, horses yeah. speeding across the bridge. It makes you feel yeah. like you might be watching Captain Robin Blood Hood. or Robin yeah. Hood. Yeah. Which of course Una was in both of those as well, wasn't she? I believe. Yeah, she was. Yeah. So this is 17-year-old Valerie Hobson. Wow. And I think she handles herself quite well, given all these amazing pros that she's surrounded by. And she was, you know, new at it. Yeah. <clears throat> she, would, she would go on to marry um, uh, John, 
uh, Perfumo, the English. You remember the movie Scandal about the mm. about the um, yeah yeah sex sca- scandal yeah the political so, scandal yeah. yeah yeah and so she was married to him. Oh, interesting. Did not know that. So yeah, we're going to get you know viewers keep an eye out. We'll try to point them out. There's going to be a f- couple of familiar faces here and there, and sometimes famous people that you didn't you couldn't possibly know that was them that are in this movie as well. Point that one out when it comes. Good, because there's one I always forget, and mm. hopefully you'll show you'll show me. Well, hopefully I'm not forgetting it, but maybe you, maybe you know ones that I don't know. I'm pretty bad at that, because I know there's a couple I should know, and I can't think of who they are. So this set is bananas. It's completely bananas. Like, did anybody ever really live in places like this? <laughs> I want to think so, yeah. But, I mean, it's really busy. When yeah, you look at yeah. how the how the the furniture is placed, and I don't know, it's it's an odd choice. Well, that I have chair this is memory. an odd choice. Like anyway, yeah, yeah, the chair is an odd choice. All of these, um, they're not triangles. I mean, there's not a straight line in the place. No. But those types of ceilings, I remember at the Conciergerie in Paris where they kept Marie Antoinette. It was m- way lower, mm-hmm. but it was that kind of of okay. architecture. Well, he's certainly, Whale is certainly picking and choosing eras and uh, and geographical locations for whatever he wants to use for this. Because we're, we, there's no way you can tell me where and when this is actually taking place. Because there's anachronisms, there's accents that don't match uh, uh, exactly. presumed nationalities. So he could do whatever he wanted, which is great, which makes it all the more kind of crazy. That so here it's we alive go. back there seems to be a reference to the it's alive line in Frankenstein. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, this bedroom is just amazing. <laughs> so it makes me think of like a turkey leg that but you know in cartoons and there'll be a little cap on the end of the turkey leg, a little white almost like a chef's cap that they put that's for fancy <laughs> turkey legs. I don't know why that bed it's just like who, what the hell would you need a bed like that for? What in the, there's like feathers on top of it. But it's filling that frame, and he knew exactly. Whale knew how to compose shots with this uh, in his era with this aspect ratio. So she's almost in bed with him. Mm-hmm. So we're we're pushing the sensors. Uh, they're going to eventually make rules about how many feet you have to have on the floor mm-hmm. if you're going to be this close to somebody. She's pretty close. I, I I think she's got feet on the floor. She might have feet on the floor, but, but I'm not sure whether that's done on purpose versus just the blocking of the scene. But now. Breen's probably more distracted by the God talk here. Yes. The creationism. Uh, this was a st- big sticking point for him and the censor board for this movie where they had to change a lot of dialogue to get around these concepts. But they still, Whale was able to keep a lot of it in too. So, But, I mean, you know, Frankenstein's saying he wants to breed a, a race that, like, he basically wants a race that he can control mm-hmm. and that he can he can be God, that they can be his slaves. And that's that's pretty pretty bad. <laughs> like, yeah. it did, there's no reason I should like this guy. No, but we have her. She's you know obviously his moral compass uh, in regards to that. So that probably took a little heat off of these thematic concepts that are in the dialogue here. That she's able to call him out. No, no, no. That's the devil. Okay, okay. I guess they can talk about this as long as she's damning him to hell. While while they're so talking in the about script, him. I guess she saw a. A grim reaper figure at a mm-hmm. window and they s- wisely decided that was 
maybe too much. Yeah. So they didn't. They saved it for Dr. Pretorius's he entrance. He was definitely a he's, grim reaper. He's the grim reaper, mm-hmm. yeah. But this speech that she gives is so bananas that it's like she has this hysterical fit and falls into the bed, and it's just, it's so strange. Now, that's two people in bed right there. There's no way around that. Well, the last shot we had, though, her feet were on the floor. Yeah. So I don't know. So this shot coming up uh, is, it looks exactly like when we see Father Marin in The Exorcist when he mm-hmm. comes. And in fact, it even looks like he's a priest because he's got that white collar. Well, I think that they're, I think Wales playing with some religious imagery a couple of ways with Pretorius. I don't, I yeah. don't know what he means by it, but... Uh, well, he, yeah, he'll have an alchemist's skullcap on here pretty quick. Right. So I think he's... I think there's he's this blasphemous priest of his own design, mm-hmm. you know? But I don't know if he's... If um, Whale's really getting at anything with any of this. I think he's just being a provocateur, right? Right. I, I, I mean, there's a lot... We'll, we'll get to a lot of different imagery where it's like he's just kind of tooling with the audience, I think. Uh, trying to just like prod them into being mildly offended from time to time, but he's not really trying to... Look at this shot anything. where he takes the time to bring him up the stairs mm-hmm. in this high angle. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't have to do that shot, but it's really cool. And nobody could say my lady like Una. Like She does it all through uh, Robin Hood, <laughs> too. So, and of course, this line, he's a very queer-looking fellow. Well, that gets is, to the uh, other part of what... Gets to the other part of what's so amazing about this movie. It, it I think it's the first camp movie mm-hmm. in American cinema. And these entrances are just amazing. It's all played so big. And there were some lines trimmed too here, weren't there, about uh, a, a little bit more of what went on at the school where Pretorius was kicked out and right. where Frankenstein was. Mm. I actually don't remember exactly what those lines were, though. But with or without those lines, we're still always wondering what exactly was the relationship between Pretorius and Henry. Which, to me, makes it more interesting to wonder than it is to yeah. know. I, again, because the subtext is strengthened by that, I think, by the mystery. Everything's going on. Uh, it's, something's going on in every frame. You know, the three yeah. images in that. Um, I mean, the beautiful lighting on that, on her in that moment when she leaves. Mm-hmm. But he's choosing lots of, of low angles. And, and I just feel like every single shot, there's real thought going into it. There's a lot of care put into this movie. See, all of this, you could read this conversation as, hey, let's do something together again. No, I won't have any more of this devil stuff. I'm getting married. I mean, it just sounds like... Yeah. yeah. It really does. Yeah, exactly. Th- th- there's definitely... He's know. there to seduce him away from his wife. Yeah, exactly. There's no doubt about it. Well, 
and it's a pretty easy sell in the mm-hmm. end. <laughs> well, yeah, all as you much have as to... he, he resists, he's not really resisting. Again, the people resist very and, and given very easily in this movie. But he gives them, you know, he gives them one little bit of new. There's something that you don't know, and uh, that's I have experiments, and he's got to know what they are. Yeah, I've created. And so something. do we. Yeah, absolutely. I think as we look around this set, we come back to what you were talking about before, John, which is this idea that we don't know when this takes place or where Mm -hmm. this takes place. And so many of the universal horror movies took place in this nonspecific middle European location at a time where there are sometimes there are automobiles and sometimes there are only horse drawn carriages. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are there's electricity uh, and candles, sometimes just candles uh, this has a this has a candles and invention. electricity and a telephone and a one telephone. telephone probably could have used it a couple of other times throughout the story, <laughs> but they only need it for that one scene. And we've got gas lights back there behind them. Mm-hmm. So it's just really it. great fairy tale reality. Now look at this shot. This looks like it's straight out of the Golem or Nosferatu, or Caligari, or Dr. Yeah. Caligari. Yeah. yeah, just like it's such a complete. German expressionist look and same with this lab this attic workshop okay so again here, just yeah. angles everywhere yeah so here's where the movie just I mean this scene is like jet fuel for this movie to me for up to here I'm like yeah this is a good old universal horror movie I'm, I'm enjoying this as a sequel to Frankenstein it's the scene where it just goes into the stratosphere I'm like okay now I'm very much on board yeah with this insanity <laughs> like this complete left it's like a left turn to beat all i i just was i remember seeing this for the first time I was just shocked at what happens in this scene yeah it still shocks my students they're still completely caught off guard by all by this so it's a genius idea oh yeah and it says that we've left the realm of the horror film or the science fiction film. Yeah. If you have any thoughts that it might be just that. And it's a fantasy film. It's a fantasy This has really gone into this other realm. And so he brings in a thing that resembles a coffin. Like a baby's coffin. Baby's coffin. And he's put his alchemist skull cap on. Right. And so your assumption is he's brought life to a baby? Or yeah, something. Right? right. You know. So you're like really <laughs> creeped out here. It's Chucky. <laughs> and it could be a very. It could be a very big horror moment. Right. Like this could be a very disturbing, even gross out horror moment. But instead, he brings these things out. And then you're like, okay, this looks a little bit more sci fi. These could be beakers. This could be who knows what. And we're just as we're just as enthralled as as Henry. And then this happens. And it's just batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's completely it's... <laughs> insane. <laughs> and I Start love it. Start with the queen. <laughs> and he's just like, what the? <laughs> then we get Henry VIII, clearly, right? Right, which uh, Charles Lawton had just been in a movie playing Henry VIII. So there's mm-hmm. probably some some kind of a pop culture in-joke going on there. Right. But there's also the implication that... Um, if he were freed from that, and they were to get together, him and the queen were to get together, she would uh, she'd be in danger. 
And then here we get That's, another little shot at the at the religious, at the religious, yeah. lazy archbishops always sleeping, always sleeping on the throne there. And then we get a bit. I guess this guy was supposed to be more of a of a cliche devil originally. Right. The cliche, a devil, um, right? But they so they did the magician look instead. Mm-hmm. Now, even though we're going to see a few more, th- there are a couple of these that we don't get to see. They shorten the scene, mm-hmm. and so keep your eyes open in the long shot when they when we can see all of them, and you'll see uh, a baby in a height chair. Yes, and that's one played of the by cameos. Billy Barty. Billy yeah, Barty is a baby. <laughs> But I guess the scene must have probably run on a little too long, and so they didn't introduce us to all of the... Yeah, there's a ballet dancer, a baby, and then I believe the implication was that the baby was baby Karloff, right? Well, then they, they made a joke about yeah. him looking like Karloff, which is like, no, this is not that kind of a movie. <laughs> that's like one turn too many, I think. Yeah, that would have been too... fan. That's like fan service. Like, yeah. we'll have to keep a close eye on this one, I think they say, or something like that. So there's the baby. So you can there's see him the waving baby. at Henry there in the middle there. And that's little Billy Barty. And there Black it is. Magic. It's more like Black Magic. He's acknowledging that we're in a fantasy film now, yeah. openly. But of course, I love this idea that uh, size somehow size was a problem. Like he could right. only make them if they were small. <laughs> yeah, that's very strange. But I do like the fact that he grew them. I think that's pretty gross. I always feel, just as a bit of an aside, I always feel like David Lynch probably loves this movie and that he borrowed this for the tiny old people in Mulholland Drive. You remember when the the old couple reappears later in the movie and they're like that size. And they run into the door. Oh, yeah. There's that moment. It's crazy. And I always feel every time I see this, I think of Mulholland Drive. There was also a, a line that was altered where he says, uh, if you like your Bible stories. No, he's, he says that here in a minute. Yeah, right. but the line was originally, if you like Scripture. your fairy tales. Oh, I thought he said... Um, yeah, I thought for some reason I thought the line was, he says scriptures and then he calls them fairy tales. I don't know why I thought that's what it. Um, well, I know they just changed wording. the line from fairy fairy tales to Bible stories. Bible stories, right? And he says it with such contempt that he's mm-hmm. still clearly, you know, mocking it. So now we've got one of two forests, and this mm-hmm. one is really beautiful, alive, it's very alive. alive. Mm-hmm. You got. Lush trees and running water and animals that are living. We get a little bit of self-discovery. And this is just a gorgeous shot. Really, really great. That reflection of him. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, how did they get that shot? That seems like it might be kind of difficult. So here we're kind of back to the 
Frankenstein monster of the previous movie who mm-hmm. doesn't want to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. In fact, jumps in to help her. But things just things just ain't working out for him. Or for her. Some continuity little, issues. There's a little mismatch here. here, yeah. Yeah, a hand, bunch of them. <laughs> hand went over her face. She's still, yeah. <laughs> so but you don't know. There we it finally the get the time. hand back. The guy has very distinct, like, extra from Public Enemy look to him. The guy on the left, he looks like he's out of a gangster movie. More With those that. droopy eyes? Yeah, the droopy yeah. eyes. He just kind of looks yeah. like he could have been in. Uh, Cagney's gang. Cut you with a razor. So I believe this is the, is this the all quiet on the Western front set? The German town set from that movie? I believe it is. I think so. And then they would stay up and this would become the universal village in countless horror movies. Mm -hmm. Until it burned down. It burned down and then they rebuilt it. I think it burned down again. (laughs) They may even use some of it in Spartacus. So now we're in a completely different kind of forest. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So Very this, dead. this forest is dead and without without any life in it and these telephone pole like trees. The design of it is so modern and graphic. Yeah, this is this is we're back in um expressionistic yeah. realm visually. And we're gonna get a classic like foam rubber. Uh, Boulder, <laughs> love it. Yeah, these I can't two guys, even imagine this. They movie just go to color. the wrong place, like, <laughs> right on their heads. God, uh, it, you know, it's just I can't imagine this movie in color. I would it's never want to see it. It's just so perfect as a black and white film. He's just completely sucked under by a horde. That's like a lovely. So it, here we've got. Uh, Dwight Fry, who plays Carl, leaning against the tree there. Yeah. And he's a composite, actually. There were several characters in the script. There was a villager. There's a serial murderer that we're going to talk about. There was the lab assistant. And uh, Whale decided to combine them all into one character, which was a good move. Yeah. And so there's just this savagery revealed with Minnie, you mm-hmm. know, where she's started out as this kind of comic character, and now she's just out for blood. And here we just get a casual crucifixion yeah. image, you know. <laughs> Certainly not suggesting anything Christ-like about Frankenstein, I don't think, but just throw that in there. It just prods <laughs> yeah. you a little bit, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, his his arms aren't outstretched, but you can't help but think oh, about yeah. a crucifixion. And I'm sure that Joe Breen wasn't happy about that either. Nope. And in this fact, guy, they, that guy's just like digging into him with a shovel. Or yeah, something. with that with that pitchfork, he's Very got cruel. it right around his neck. Yeah, that's right. Is there another famous townsperson, John? There is, but it's uh, after it, it comes up here in a few minutes. Okay. Don't believe he's in any of these scenes here, unless I'm. I know exactly where he shows up for sure. So I love the fact that um, they have this chair 
mm-hmm. that is so huge, like the average guy <laughs> can't sit in that chair. They just have it ready, though. It's like a King case. Kong wall. I mean, it's yep. just like <laughs> he fits Makes perfectly. Wonder. Makes you wonder how that. Well, like, yeah. Who well, who do they usually put in this chair? I don't know. I guess it's like it could be a one size fits all. Like those things, those blocks move, and you change somebody down. So here's another one of these great vertical shots coming up here in just a second. There. Oh, wow. Look just at that. Just beautiful. Yeah. And you get her. I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily say they're in focus in that window, but you're. You're they're there. You know they're she's there. there. So do you think um, these two guards, we got this weird comic comedy team thing going mm-hmm. on, if you watch them, and they always make me think of Abbott and Costello. Sure. They could like, have very easily been like. <laughs> I mean, look at this. I don't know. There's something about it that looks like this schmucky comedy team. Wah, wah, making faces. Just a little puffy. Yeah, his cheeks yeah. puff out like. Yeah. Now this is so. This is so sudden. I always find this to be a little sudden. <laughs> they did all that work to get they him in. Just, just got him in there, and we are immediately out. He's easy out. <laughs> <laughs> he is moving on. That's what I love about this movie. Is it just keeps going. It never stops. So there was supposed to be a lot more here, though, right? Like they cut I think so, yeah. a good number of beats out of this sequence, um, and I think he even kills. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember what I heard, heard or read. Does he smash somebody's heads together yeah, or something? He smashes. Yeah. I think. I think it might be the Burgermeister's head. Yeah, I think he. But they could. It's like a similar moment as this, where he's denying the. Monster's there, and then the monster grabs him and kills him. So Carl's standing right next to the Burgermeister. <laughs> and then, yeah. of course, the old... There, look at that beautiful little map back there. But that... um, Yeah, nothing to see here. There's no monster, and then... Right, the and then he gets killed up. while he's saying that. Yeah. Yeah, the body count, originally, they're like 21 people died, and then by the time the censors got through with it, there were like 12. Yep. I mean, I'm not even sure if that guy died, you know, a second ago, but... uh Right, but they there were more for sure deads. So, so as they look for Frida, trying to find little Frida, and there's dead little Frida. Right, and isn't now, the girl that speaks there the girl from Frankenstein that gets drowned? I, I think it is the same actress. I think so, so. Here we've got that, and now we've got two more homicides, the Newmans, and this is all part of a serial killer plot that has been removed from the film. <laughs> So Carl, the serial murderer who gets, you know, kills right. the woman and cuts her heart out, like he's doing this. And he, like undercover of monster rampage, like hey, I can kill as many people as I want I, right I now. I think so. Yeah, I think it's I don't know whether it's that I think it's that way, but I know that there is that's the subplot. Interesting. There's a killer on the loose at the same time as this other stuff is going on and they cut it out. The bad news is is by cutting it out, the assumption is that the monster did all of that. And what reason would the monster have to go kill Mrs. Newman That's upstairs? A good point. That's a good point. So this was in this scene was shot uh, after production. This was an addition shot at the end uh, because they were trying to figure out how to get around this whole business with the serial murderer stuff. And so they added this extra scene of the monster actually terrorizing somebody to suggest that maybe he was terrorizing right. those people in the town. But it makes no sense. Why would he kill a little girl? Why would well, he kill not Mr. Mitch, Mrs. Newman? Yeah, not to mention all the time it would have taken for him yeah. to do so didn't really fit with the um, the stream of the action there. 
I had a, I had a student read this scene as the monster is afraid of fire and trying to warn the people away from fire. Like, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. He I think he a, smelled chicken. He's like, don't want to share chicken. Get out of here. So now we're back in the good forest. Yeah. And here comes the good forest. The good forest where bad things still happen, but they happen to other people. So, of course, now we're entering into a scene that was, I mean, very like parodied in Young Frankenstein, of course, with Gene Hackman playing the role of this gentleman here. But <laughs> they're not that different of scenes, right? Like, aren't they? Isn't that kind of the comedy of the of the Young Frankenstein version of it? Is that it's. It's almost yeah. the same scene, Some but it's barely yeah, different, scene, but it's somehow this, hilarious. Yeah, because this has jokes in it, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, so it's, um, but it's so, Mel just it, takes it further. It's so close to being ridiculous that yeah. that I feel like Brooks was like, hey, if we just nudge it just slightly, yeah. it'll be <laughs> yeah. hilarious. Yeah. We don't have to do anything with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this, of course, is a scene that's suggested by the book, mm-hmm. where the monster uh, stays around the outside of the DeLacy family and... Gets, picks the brings wood to the old man and uh, eventually the daughter and son show up and they see the monster and right. similarly situation where it's like uh, dad your your new best friend is a reanimated corpse and of course you this is have that the birth of a cliche from one of those things you l- probably learned when you're a child before you ever saw a Frankenstein movie is the music soothes the savage beast right like, yeah. I think it's in a lot of Looney Tunes or something where they just say that for one reason or another. Well, or Bugs Bunny uses music to save his own life some way, but. All roads lead back to Bugs Bunny. So how do you feel about, I mean, obviously you love this movie, so you probably feel fine about it, but the choice to have the monsters speak. I love the fact that the monster speaks. I, I do too. I think it's a great addition. It's one of the things that makes this movie better than the original. This is one of the very few sequels that I think is surpasses yeah. the original. Yeah, me too. I mean, for one thing, it, it gets you more, in, it gets you emotionally involved in the monster. You like yeah, him. Yeah, and the you monster spoke, him. he spoke in the book, so why not? Karloff just speak. didn't want to do it, you know? Like, uh, yeah. that's really, the, I guess he's maybe the, he was the strongest voice against it, ironically. But uh, I don't know. I imagine there's some people out there that, that probably say, oh, why couldn't we have had this whole movie and he doesn't speak and still somehow get across the same <laughs> well, emotions. Well, I don't know. you can watch Ghost of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, right. House of Frankenstein if you want to see the monster not speaking anymore because sure. this was the only one where he talked. And I think that's too bad too. I guess he gets to speak like Igor. Of course. I want to see him. I want to see him become a proper English gentleman. Yeah, to <laughs> me, that would be the funniest, you know, by the end he's like, I say good man. And isn't that the young yeah, Frankenstein? I guess joke. that is young Frankenstein putting on the Ritz. This guy, um, I think his name was O.P. Hedgie, I think was his mm-hmm. name, R- reminds me of the guy who plays Jesus in the early DeMille King of Kings. Well, again, I don't think that's an accident. I believe this guy is supposed to look biblical. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, he's, this robe he's wearing and the, and the beard, I think he's supposed to look a bit like a DeMille character 
from one of his biblical epics. And there's a strange, you know, physicality between the two of these men mm-hmm. all through this. It's it's really interesting. I'm sure they're just a couple of blokes who are mates, but I'm but they're close physically yeah. a lot of the time. Look at this shot. Yeah, I've that prayed many like times. And if that's like not out of a religious epic. <laughs> And then cut to the shot with the cross in the background. Yeah, and, and he's the feeding the hungry and like all kinds of biblical yeah. things are going on here. Surprised that he's not giving him loaves and fishes, you know. Yeah, you have the crucifix. That's funny. I didn't notice that before. There's a few crucifix. I mean, we got one earlier when Henry was laid out on the table, but it was in sword. It was a crucifix of swords in the background. You know, oh, I didn't even notice wall. that. Are yeah. they, they're crossed. They're yeah. like crossed, and there's a couple of guns. It's just like one of those weird weapon displays that apparently people put on their walls, but it looks definitely like a crucifix. And this, too, this is like a, you know, uh, yeah. pieta or something. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, another mismatch. He had his hands up by his... Yeah. You get the sense they're shooting fast. Yeah. For these close-ups, they're not thinking a lot. And then, (laughs) so one of the two shots of the monster crying, but this is so weird how that, they do this optical on that cross and it stays there longer mm-hmm. before everything fades out. It's just <laughs> so crazy. And now comedy. Mm-hmm. And I've shown this movie for 20 years with audiences and they laugh every time they, this scene just tickles people. <laughs> Think of Phil Hartman in Saturday night live, oh. right? Making fun of the, we do have a, by the way, we have communion is happening right now. Right. Just, of course. Just to point that out. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That Joe Breen must've been just losing his mind. Well, you know what? Stuff. Joe Breen didn't always get it either. You could definitely slip stuff past him. I don't know if he would have guessed that this was supposed to be communion. communion. Yeah. Cause once the cigarettes, <laughs> then they come smoke. Out, <laughs> nobody smokes at communion. So it can't be communion. Of course, this is the um, Brooks's version is more overtly, you know, slapstick, right? With the smoking, if I remember. Yeah. I can't, but this remember always everything. gets such a huge laugh from audiences. Well, when, There's just something about the joy with which he. <laughs> I mean, he looks like a Rastafarian when he's going yeah, at that it looks thing. It's like a big like joint. A, <laughs> like it's a big spliff. And then that, where it's like it's too much. It's well, no, that's what. Yeah, that's when the nicotine. The yeah, that's what nicotine does to you. At first, it's good, and then it makes you. It, it brings you down. <laughs> <laughs> this is like that great uh, Stanley Kubrick moment in Lolita. Everything you need to know about the relationship with the monster and the mm-hmm. old man, we get in this one scene in continuous time and then <laughs> everything goes south. Wood. 
But his, if you look at his makeup, it's he's the hair is starting to get darker, mm-hmm. and the skin is is clearer. Mm-hmm. The burns are going away. He's still got a little burn on one cheek, but that's a really inventive notion that you get to watch him regenerate. So he looks his best on his wedding day. Mm-hmm. A lot of good that does him, but right. And that little stool is really absurd. Well, here we go. Uh, you know what? The I great, completely... The great John Carradine. John Carradine, uh, with his voice, not his, not the familiar voice, though, right? You don't think so? No, oh, it's yeah. a little higher. It's the fiend, but in half the countryside. I don't know. It sounds... Man, it sounds I real, sounds just like realized, Mitch, I completely forgot to mention Walter Brennan earlier. Oh, wh- wh- we he was in the he was in the crowd, right? No, he's I in can... the group that's looking over the the body of Mister Newman, and he's holding the axe that apparently was used to chop up Mister Newman. Okay, so sorry, so I... folks, I missed that one. Well, and I I don't think I knew about that. I or yeah. I've forgotten it. I knew there was somebody in there that, but is Alan Ladd in this too? Oh, I don't think so. You're thinking about thought... Citizen Kane. No, I, there's somebody else in the. Okay, is there anybody else famous in the crowd? I other don't than, think other so. Other than Walter Brennan? Okay. I don't think so. I don't know. It I could be. Was, but I, I don't know. I thought there was somebody him. else that was of that Alan Ladd, Dick Powell kind of thing. Who would have been the universal version of that? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, I don't think Alan Ladd would have been old enough to be in this movie yet. Yeah. But, you know, he's in the screening he's room in Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Yeah. I think there's may there may be one other famous villager. Ooh. We'll have to look it up. That's some good pyrotechnics. Some... Yeah, it comes out and it merely singes the back of oh, his wait. head. This is the maybe that's the girl from Frankenstein. Oh, really? The girl, the that, girl was that played the, Little Marie that ran off. Yeah. So here we go. Um, yeah, apparently. So apparently, Whale wanted the monster to destroy this crucifix that's coming up with Jesus on it, and Breen said no. <laughs> so they had yeah. to. He had to have him destroy something else and then have the crucifix in the background. That's the best he could do. You'll see in a second. Uh, and the way I had understood it was that the the idea of the scene was he would see the guy ha- hanging on the cross and he would want to pull him off, like oh. to save him. And either way, destroy the crucifix in doing so, and they didn't want that. So instead I he pushes see. over... I didn't know that, yeah. Instead he pushes over a statue of, of a pope or a bishop, mm-hmm. which is just as blasphemous, almost, mm-hmm. you know? So, outfoxed him, old Jimmy. I want that uh, Grim Reaper right there. Mm -hmm. I want that in my backyard. So, here's some spectacular necrophilia coming Mm -hmm. up. She looks. She looks pretty. She looks pretty healthy for somebody who's dead. Must be pretty new. Yep. Which they suggest later, right? There's people dying all the time around here. There's accidents happening all the time. Yeah. This one person means it one way, and one person means it the other way. But look at the depth of that set. That's amazing. So again, there's Carl. 
the lab assistant, serial killer, villager, mm -hmm. hybrid, and in this case, a body snatcher. Mm -hmm. So he's, he has a lot of things to do. He's a renaissance, regular renaissance. <laughs> he man. really is, yeah. So here's a shot coming up that I had actually never um, clocked before. So okay, the monster so, is hiding in the shadows and so he's I'm watching sorry. these guys. Go ahead. Yeah. Got to point out that they did give us a little bit of a idea of what year it is. I never thought about it. So she died in 1899. So at least we know we're in the 20th century probably. Right. I mean, we must be with the phone, but nevertheless, yeah. I, I like it better that there's no suggestion of year, but uh, I forgot that we do get a little bit of suggestion, at least what... Yeah, I guess it could be the could be minimum year. Yeah, How long the, does it take a body to turn to bones? Because he goes, this body is totally... Okay, so he's watching from the shadows, right? And this shot right there, if mm -hmm. you watch his eye line, he did look past that coffin and see the monster. Oh, and I'd yeah. never really noticed that before. Interesting. I always thought that shot was a monster point of view and that was all it did, but I think the other thing it does is it alerts Pretorius to the fact that the monster's there. Mm. And that's why he hangs around. Because I always thought, you know, what a coincidence that he's hanging around and the monster just happens to show up. No, he he clocked the monster hiding there. Mm. Anyway, that's my that's my theory. A little picnic. It's like one of those blue nun bottles. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Another comedy wacka wacka. Well, you always um, have to have two people talking about how scary it all is. And yet that's the guy who's that that's that's a holdover from when the gravedigger was just the gravedigger because that was Dwight Fry. So mm -hmm. <laughs> he's he is the serial murderer lab assistant <laughs> gravedigger grave robber now. And so that was a little out of character. Look at this shot. Uh, I, most of these shots, you could freeze frame them and yeah. and hang them up on your wall. Yep. Every shot. This movie is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Disingenuous. <laughs> oh, sorry. Didn't see you there. The other thing I love about um, Pretorius, about Ernest Thesiger, is when you get a really good close-up of him, you can realize how weirdly blue his eyes must have been. Mm. And I don't know if he's any in any color movies where I could check those eyes, but... I love how he has all these only weaknesses. Cigars are his only weakness. Booze is Gens my only, is weakness. only weakness. Grave taking <laughs> is my only weakness. Grave rubbing. Pale schoolboys like Henry Frankenstein. Right. My only weakness. Got another fade coming up, I believe, John. Hmm? Last fade out was on that crucifix, but I think we right. I think we've got another nice little fade to black ending this thing out.
Again, his mood swings are just extreme. Yeah, he's manic. All of a sudden, he's like, I love Ted. <laughs> hate living. Which means, I hate, does that mean I hate Frankenstein? I hate Henry Frankenstein? I guess. There's a nice fade, so we get to jump through time again. It's interesting to cut back to Pretorius there. Kind of seems like the obvious thing would just be end on wife and then fade out, but it cuts back mm-hmm. to him because it was his scene. I mean, it's yeah, it's about him driving all of this, you know, and using Frankenstein or the the monster to uh, bolster his argument, as he said. Look at that fur. Mm. Isn't that crazy? This fireplace. She's so beautifully lit. Yeah. This is another one of those fireplaces that you're just like, were there really fireplaces like this? It's insane. It's like the fireplace is as big as my bathroom. (laughs) Set reminds me a little bit of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Van Helsing's room. Look at that nice little move. Mm-hmm. You don't even notice it, but look at those eyes. Our supreme collaboration. So you've got two push-ins. One much more noticeable than the other. Yeah. But but that's partially because of the performances happening in, in them. Yeah, poor Colin Clive. You know, he would die of alcoholism. He was apparently quite a quite a high strung fella by this point in this his is life. His, this is this is the drinking. only right. And he had broken his leg on a horse before oh, that's the movie right. started. And so this is the only time he actually stands in the whole movie, I think. Like as far as you can see his legs and then he walks. Otherwise uh-huh. you just kinda get him sitting, laying down or behind things. Where he might have had, a, you know, in the lab, I think there's a lot of times where he might have had a, a cast on or something that you don't see because he's always behind a table. And then Frank is the monster. He's like, sit down. Your leg broke. Take it easy. <laughs> but I think here in a minute you get him running around and you can see a bit of a limp. It's pretty clever that he gets to use the monster as leverage like this. as And the monster does what Pretorius tells him. So mm-hmm. you really get the sense that Pretorius has all this power. Yep. And that's pretty great because when Pretorius says now, he sets the monster off to do something, and we're not sure what that's going to be. So, Okay, so this kind of starts what I can never get past as far as a, a probable or possible plot thread that does not happen here. 
And that is that, in my mind, he kidnaps her, absconds with her, then they go to the lab to do their thing, and then they need a new heart, and then cut to the monster accidentally kills her. She goes to the hospital. This is what I always think is supposed to happen, is they're supposed to get her heart. Well, yeah, they were, and that was what was supposed to happen in the original draft of the script, and they said that's just too dark. That just um, makes I don't so think much sense. A, I don't know that, yeah, that, that it, and that, again, kind of takes a page from the novel in the sense that, you know, when Dr. Frankenstein doesn't complete the bride for the monster, the monster is so mad that he kills Elizabeth and says, now we're both widowers. Mm-hmm. See, to me, you know, the Breen office is not always about, oh, it's too dark or too morbid. It's often about punishment. Make sure you punish this guy for what he did. It would be such an enormous punishment for Henry here to have him find out that he used his his fiance's heart for this horrible, Im- unethical, immoral act that he's committing. I don't know. But the other side of that argument would be that it's you know the to victimize Elizabeth that way is so cruel and and unpalatable that I don't think that, that yeah. they'd ever go for it. I just think it would have been great. No, it would have been great. Yeah, a bit and it would happen in another. Eventually, Frankenstein movies would catch up to that, and it would happen in a, in a different Frankenstein movie. I mean, it's it's a different context, but it kind of happens in Seven, right? Like it's yeah. a little. It kind of makes you think about Seven a little bit. Is this a, is that like a really? That's a pretty good dummy, right? That he's because those legs are way too floppy to be an actual person. So. But <laughs> when he throws it throws her down, it looks pretty good. I don't know. God, what actor wants to play this part where you come in and say you're beaten? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like most movie stars would never go near that. They'd have to spin it some way. You know, this is my only choice. But not Colin Clive. He's like, you've just thrashed me. <laughs> uh, here we go. More awesome models. Mine, the and steps are a bit sets. slimy. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Look at that. Isn't that wild? <laughs> well, I think they probably would burn you at the stake. Now, if they know what you're doing. Yeah, really. Times haven't changed that much, man. I love this little heart monitor. Here we're definitely getting back into the alchemy. The yeah, and who, and I'm, I'm looking at the guy's head, just the, the name just went out of my head. The guy who developed all of this electro, electronic oh, stuff. I've forgotten too. He says, the human heart is more complex than any other part of the body. No, no, sir. Don't believe it's more complex than the brain. Sorry. See, as soon as he says, it must be sound and young, you go, that's going to be your 
girl. That's going to be, be Elizabeth's heart. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. And this, guy's, <laughs> this is just the guy for the job. Yeah. The accident hospital. As a matter of fact, you could have, if you want to be really cruel, you could have Elizabeth get away from the monster, the monster and, and run then have him kill guy, her. Yeah. And he kills her. Yeah. That would be really cruel. So Kenneth Strickfadden is the name of the guy who designed all these, uh. these electrical Tesla coils and and Mel Brooks even got this original stuff for Young Frankenstein, the same some of yeah. the same equipment. Yep. And I guess Strickfadden held on to that stuff and, mm-hmm. and up until he I think he's gone now, but I think oh, yeah. he um you could go in LA to his place and he'd hire it out for other movies. So this plays this would play a little bit more as a payoff if there was that B plot of him killing people already. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I just like how for some reason that's a dead giveaway. I think isn't that the idea? Wasn't it being fresh and new and young the idea in the first place? Yeah, I'm, where do I'm you not think sure why that's from? an alarm. Yeah. It's one of the two great foot-in-mouth moments. The other one we missed, which was when John Carradine says to the blind man, it's the monster, can't you see? Right. And then it's kind of like, dope, because they cut to the blind man who clearly cannot see. But it seems like the monster saying these lines, it's so much more for Karloff to play. I can't imagine him doing this where he couldn't speak. Right. I mean, it just, it would, it would be able to communicate. It would get goofy after a while if he's just like pointing and grunting. <laughs> Charades. And, and then, and then <laughs> Henry being like, yes, yes, I'll keep working fine. You know, or whatever he has to say to make sure the audience knows what, what the monster's getting at. This always gets a laugh too. Yeah. He, Lures him away with booze. Yeah. Drink good. Must be the teenagers in the audience, the mm-hmm. young college students. To which, so to whom you could do the exact same thing to them. And they know it. Always very high highs and very low lows with with the Frankenstein monster. So we're an hour into the movie, Mm -hmm. and it's obviously a short film, but we've covered a lot of ground in an hour. It really really manages to, and never feels like, you know, never feels cheap. It feels like it's committed and it's just making strong choices to move it. And now James Whale really leans into the Dutch angles. Oh, yeah. And he's going to go crazy with them. Well, he for even the rest does, of the movie. He kind of uses like close to the exact shots, doesn't he, from the original? There's a couple of spots here when the action starts up where it looks like the exact same shot you've seen before. Not now, that it is, is the exact same shot; it's just that it's framed up. Here so we this are magical phone. telephone. <laughs> but look at the way he's tied her up. Yeah, <laughs> it's the worst job. He's not great at that. He's not very good at that. But yeah, that telephone always gets a laugh because it's... It's like, what? 
It's this strange anachronism in a movie filled with anachronisms, so it, I don't know why. I mean, if they can have this kind of thing, they can't have a telephone? I think the laugh is more about the cliche of, put her on the phone so I know she's okay, you know, that yeah. you've seen 100,000 times. So look at these canted angles. Yeah. And it kind of all makes sense, just because at this point the movie has really become completely unbalanced. Somehow, <laughs> in this weird laboratory, it doesn't seem that off kilter. But he's sure committed to it. Like, we haven't had a... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't had a level shot in a while. No. <laughs> Here we go. Now we get a level shot. Mm hmm Wait, isn't that what, doesn't Doc Brown say that exact line in Back to the Future to, you, to himself, I think? Yeah, maybe. He says, it's going to be a terrific storm. I, I want to say he says that. That's great. I, I just love the wrapped, you know. I, even the wrap is beautiful, the way yeah. that they've put it on her. Like, yeah. everything about her is beautiful. And then this kites thing, I always think about Miyazaki. Somehow, like, Miyazaki probably loves this moment in the movie, right? With these, like, odd-looking kites that are on big mechanisms that come I feel like he would put something like that in one of his movies. And they were the new idea because there were not kites in Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. I think it just they just zapped the monster and then hauled him back down. But again, a new kind of spectacle for the creation scene. So they're mm -hmm. they're committed to keeping it fresh. And that may sound like I'm stating the obvious, but then when you start to see the 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 cheaper, worse entries in the Frankenstein series from Universal, you realize that there were directors who didn't really care about keeping it fresh right. and making making it you know visually dynamic at every turn. Like they had great sets in Son of Frankenstein, but the direction was not up to this. And then the rest of them just got cheaper and flatter. So that high angle reminds me of a little bit later when the lab starts to collapse. If you look closely, you can see Henry Frankenstein still in the lab, even though story-wise he has run out, outside. The monsters sent him out. Because what happened was they decided in reshoots that they needed to have the monster let Henry go free. Mm -hmm. Not that he deserves to, you know what I mean? Not really. Elizabeth will be better off without him. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine what their marriage is going to be like? <laughs> See, yeah, isn't that that's the shot. It's yeah. very similar to the shot in, in Frankenstein, yeah.
And again, the sound design, which you can't hear mm-hmm. for this scene, is just spectacular. And the score with the, the use of the timpani is really great. <laughs> Sparks and flashing lights, man, you can get so much out of it. But just the sheer scale of this set. Mm-hmm. Like you really, you believe you're there. And even though this is a model, the previous shot wasn't. Mm-hmm. It's pretty perverse that we've got all this build up to a character who's only going to be in the movie for about five That's, minutes. I never remember. I always think that she's going to be in the movie longer. And the students are always really vexed by that and and i'm sure i was as a kid too because she's so iconic and and the name of the movie she's the name of the movie so you think it should be a little bit more important but which was really confusing to valerie hobson who thought that she was the main character of the movie Mm -hmm. so she couldn't understand why she didn't have more to do in the film but she's the standout of the movie so (laughs) Got to throw somebody else off this thing. Not as good a dummy. Not if that, that other one was a dummy. So now it goes fast. Mm-hmm. It's going to get us to the bride very, very quickly. Raise the cosmic diffuser. Takes a great actor to deliver those lines I, lo- I love that those things have to be spoken you know <laughs> and pretty sure you probably went over all once this again before. Mm-hmm. we'll have another call back to the first movie but the crowd went wild yeah i could see the crowd standing yeah. and cheering at that one <laughs> And this is such an iconic shot. Remind I think there was a model kit of this too. Oh yeah. Look at the size of those safety pins. <laughs> so that's just amazing, that dissolve. And they, it, what's funny is that they're holding up the hem of her dress there, and then they drop it as if they're also as amazed as we are at what we're yeah. seeing. Yeah, and that shot is just so yeah. crazy, queenie, and, it, and amazing. It's saying, the, it's saying the name. 
Yeah. It's the bride of burst, Frankenstein. Bursts into applause. <laughs> but she's so faint. So what did she she fashion this after pigeons? Swans. Swans. The, yeah, the swans that she watched and she saw how they would hiss. So here we've got a call back to that there it is. shot in the prologue mm-hmm. with Shelley and Byron. Which doesn't mean anything, but it just, you know, probably if you if you spot it, great, and if you don't, it probably unconsciously registers. Creating a nice bookend. One of the things I really like here is how aggressive the editing is and how in many instances it doesn't match. And it doesn't have to match because it's so interested in using the shots to convey emotions. There's a expect expectation of like matching eye lines in a couple of those shots. Yeah. But the idea is that she's not down with him. Like, right. So it works. She's not a paying it. She's too busy. Like wondering what the hell's going on to look over and fall in love with some dude. Although she seems decidedly attached to Henry, which yeah. again, if it was Elizabeth's heart, that would be better. Wouldn't it? See, Yeah. But it makes sense, you know, that he's her creator, father figure, whatever you want to call him. Well, it wasn't like uh, Pretorius was laying down on the job, you know. Yeah, but look at him. He's definitely not the more (laughs) appealing of the two guys. (laughs) That shot's out of focus and they still use it, which I think Mm -hmm. is really interesting. And that's that's great. great. That's like, yeah. Yeah, the optics of the lens when she comes back goes back and so did did spike lee name his movie after that line that you remember he had that yeah. movie called she hate me uh-huh yeah that was from this yeah i never really knew that so uh, the lever who builds castles with levers that can blow the whole place up gilbert godfrey talks about this all the time <laughs> like why do all these castles have one lever that can blow up the whole place yeah yeah, I Ooh. wanted that when I saw it. <laughs> You're doing your walkthrough on your new house. Like, you know what we really kind of need is a lever. To yeah. <laughs> brings the whole place down. So there, that was the reshoot where he sent them out. Well, it's interesting he, that he decides that uh, Pretorius deserves to die. Like yeah. why I understand why he thinks he deserves to die or, or there, not deserves you, to die, but what's if you up? look over there on the left, you can see uh, Frankenstein. Uh, in that, in that, there he is, right there, up against yeah. the wall. So I understand why the monster thinks he's supposed to be dead and that she's supposed to be dead, but why Pretorius? Why is it? Why is he more to blame? Because he knows Henry? the whole thing was his idea. He knows the whole plot was his idea. Henry just and that he was manipulating Henry. Yeah, and he was manipulating him. He was being manipulated by Pretorius. Yeah. We're gonna be okay. (laughs) It's just such a weird way to end the movie. Oh yuck! Finally, (laughs) get back to their our marital bed. So there we have it. As we kick off October with. uh, uh, with a horror movie. I'm not sure what we'll do the next Patreon. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do one that, more before I think we're going to do out. another horror movie. Yeah, before okay. October's over. That would be good. So Something thanks to everybody newer. for joining us. I hope we um, go back and look for Walter Brennan. Yeah, Walter and, Brennan with the axe in the parlor. 
I don't know why that came out That's, like it was a that clue. That sounds uh, like clue, song. yeah. Yeah. But he does he has a he has an axe over standing over Mr. Newman who has been We'll, we'll frame axe. grab it and put it on the on Something the like that. 007 listeners page to confuse anybody who isn't a Patreon member. There we go. All right. See you, y'all. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.